If you have a Bible, open to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, this is our last message in our Advent series. It's entitled Miracle. We've been talking about um, the miracle of peace and the miracle of joy and the miracle of the glory of God come to earth. And we see all these things, all these things clearly in the in the person of Jesus Christ. And this morning, uh, we're going to talk about hope as you're turning to Luke chapter 2. Um, outside of my of Evie's classroom or first grade classroom, there's this bulletin board. It says Christmas wish list. And it has all these little ornaments that the kids have colored. And then the kids all write things on there of what they want for Christmas or what I wish for for Christmas. And they're all the kind of the, the normal things. So like one wants a bike and one wants a Barbie. Um, one wants a bear. Um, hopefully Teddy, not real. Uh, and then my, my daughter wrote Fitbit, which is odd, but she's her mom's daughter. So, um, but I was looking at them, there were some that really kind of stood out to me. There was one um, where a kid wrote, I wish for Christmas that our dad would move back in with us. I, I wish for Christmas that grandma could remember everybody in the family again. Uh, that got really heavy. But, but I think at a very elementary level, no pun intended, this is what our experience of hope boils down to because in a very basic way this is our experience of hope it's it's waiting with great anticipation and confident expectation that things will get better that things can get better and and christmas that's what this season is all about it's about waiting for the arrival of something better it's about 400 years of silence being broken by the cry of a baby. It's about thousands of years of promise being fulfilled in the gift of Jesus Christ. It's about prophecy and generations of expectation that a Messiah would come and he showed up. That's what Christmas is all about. It's about God fulfilling his promise in the most crazy backwards way because grace is, just works like that. It's about an unwed mother in a cave at midnight out of town giving birth to the son of a living God. It's about God keeping a promise that looked like it was impossible to keep. And for us this Christmas, it's about God breaking into our mundane, run-of-the-mill life saying, don't give up hope because I will come through. We celebrate this season because in the midst of craziness and in the midst of despair even, there is hope and expectation of something far greater than what the world wants to prop up and tell us that life is all about. Christmas is a reminder that the celebration of hope was born into a world full of tension and full of conflict and full of darkness and brokenness. The, the famous French poem, O Holy Night, it says this, long lay the world in sin and error pining or waiting till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And if there was ever a time, ever a season where it felt like we really needed to be reminded of this hope, it's now. We, we, we sit in a nation with political uncertainty, a nation that just feels more divided than it has in, in a long, long time. We look across the world stage and we see this refugee crisis, this humanitarian crisis where families are being dis displaced and murdered in the street. Children are washing up on shore. We, can't, we don't even have words to put to this. And what about the crisis that you came in here with this morning? 
What about in your own life? What about the disaster that you're just trying to hold together or you're trying to manage in your own life? Have I sufficiently bummed everybody out? All right, let's pray and see what the scripture has for us this morning. God, we love you, and um, God, you allowed us already to sing that peace has come, and we believe that, God. We believe that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has come. Um, God, we know that to be true, but God, if we're super honest this morning, God, our, just, our experience feels so radically different than that. So God, in this moment, God, would the, just the, the mirror of your word show us the truth. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate truth? Would you control me? Would you remove distractions? Um, God, we so desperately need to hear from you this morning. And so, God, I just pray that in, in your grace and by your mercy, God, that you would allow us to hear from you. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 2, very famous Christmas passage. Let's read this together. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, there came time for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, when Jesus was born, the people of God, they faced um, very similar un certainties and tension in their world. And, and like them, we live in a space between what we believe and what we expect to take place and what we are currently seeing and what we're currently experiencing. And in that space between what we hope to happen or what we believe will happen and what we currently experience, our current circumstances, in that space, you can grow either hope or you can grow despair. And we're going to see from the scriptures how our hope grows in the life of Jesus. The, the story that we get in Luke 2 here, it's put in the context of Caesar's world. This was the time of uh, the rule and reign of Caesar Augustus, um, who was a very powerful ruler in an empire that actively suppressed Israel. And, and through the dominance and through the military might of the Roman Empire, uh, it, it seemed to be the the hub or the center of the universe. If something significant was going to happen, it was going to happen there. So it's a huge contrast that Luke would tell us a story that happens during the days of Caesar Augustus, but we've got these two kind of backwater peasants who give birth in a feeding trough somewhere, uh, that that's something that's going to change the world. It, it doesn't make any sense, um, but yet we really do believe that in this very unnoticed and forgotten and forsaken place that God is changing the world. And it's so important to start there because you can't appreciate how beautiful the Christmas story is until you first embrace how absurd it is. You see, the people of God, they were waiting for a savior. They were waiting for the Messiah to come, this conquering hero. They had prophecies like in Isaiah chapter 9. It says this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. 
For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is what the people were expecting. And we live in a very interesting time in history. We believe that the child has been born to us and yet... He has not yet established endless peace in the nations. Uh, you've heard us talk about it up here. It's what theologians uh, call the already not yet. We see already that Jesus is king. We see his lordship and we see his peace and we see his beauty and goodness. But yet in other ways, it's not fully realized. We don't yet live in a time of endless peace. They would have also had prophecies like in Isaiah chapter 11, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord and he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his base and faithfulness, faithfulness, the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. And the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's dead. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. And listen to this promise. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, we believe that Jesus has come, but yet the, the, the second part of this passage really feels more like a fairy tale than a reality. I, I don't know if you know this, but if you put a wolf and a sheep together, the wolf will eat the sheep. We, we don't let our kids play with cobras, yet according to Scripture, this is where the world is headed. From the moment the child is given to us, the course is set, that, that ultimately the Prince of Peace will rule and reign over all. And, and in the meantime, God is bringing his peace and he bring, is bringing his goodness in surprising ways. Even if the world seems very dark, we still believe that the hope of Jesus was born and is growing in this world. And, and the way that the hope and peace of Christ comes into the world looks small and humble. It doesn't look like it would possibly be enough to change the world. But yet that is the way that God is always doing it. Right in the midst of everything else, God is doing something extraordinary and surprising. But you can't help but think just how impractical that all sounds, right? And it's evidenced by the way that we are so quick to go to pragmatic solutions or policy solutions or pragmatic ways in which we would solve it and not spiritual realities or promises. Church, what we should be doing now in the midst of darkness, in the midst of brokenness, is to be filling ourselves with the truth and the promise of God's word so that we might bring words of sanity and hope and clarity in times of chaos. Never before has has the world needed Christians to speak light and sanity and peace and comfort. 
We, we know there's always been things in this world that can terrify us, but we believe that we are serving the Prince of Peace and that the day is coming soon and very soon that he will bring his peace to the nations. That is the reason, church, why we don't flip out when everything starts to fall apart. But there are some here, and you, if you're really honest, you feel like you're in a place of darkness and you just cannot see the light. It's hard to see past Caesar and see the purposes of God in your life. And, and, and I understand hope might seem small and tiny in your life right now, but God is up to something. God is working things together for your good and in your circumstances, even though you can't see it. In the same way that it was surprising that Jesus is born in this feeding trough in the middle of nowhere, even now the incarnation of Jesus is at work in your life in places that are small and unexpected. God is up to beautiful things. Light always comes into the darkness in surprising ways. And the most impressive things about God, his mercy, his grace, his love, they come by the most unexpected means and in the most unexpected times. And hope grows when we can believe and embrace that. And I understand, I understand personally how challenging it is to believe in the lordship of Jesus when there's so much brokenness and darkness in the world. But the truth remains that the day is coming when the earth shall be covered with the knowledge of God. Do you believe that? So how does that help me? How does the knowledge of what God will do help me today? In other words, if I could say it another way, how do I maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world? I can say, I can mentally ascend, okay, God, you have a plan. I, I get it. I know you have a plan, but I don't think I'm going to make it to see that plan come about. There's a pastor who talks about hope, and he says, hope is like a ladder that we lean against the wall. In other words, when, when you're a kid, you lean your ladder against your parents, that's where you place your hope. And then as you grow, maybe you lean your ladder into your college education, or then you lean your ladder into your first career. That's not so great. So then you lean your ladder into your second career. Then maybe you lean your ladder into uh, your marriage, or maybe retirement, or maybe grandkids. And as you move along in life, you move your ladder and you lean it into different things. And we never think about the place that we've placed our hope or leaned our ladder until we start to feel hopelessness. And hopelessness happens when the thing that I've centered my life on, the thing that I've leaned my ladder into gives way and I start to free fall. And when we do begin to free fall, that's when we think, you know what, I, I have leaned my hope, I've leaned my life, I've placed my hope into something that can't hold me up. And the scripture informs us as Christians that we are to lean our ladder or place our hope into God. Psalm 33:22 in the NIV, it says this, May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Even, even as we put our hope in you, even as we lean our lives into you. Now, what's a challenge for us is that we have a really difficult time with seeing God as the only place that we can lean our ladder or place our hope because we're really good at building walls that seem to hold up pretty good. 
we see and believe the benefits of education. So that's a wall that we kind of lean our ladder into. We know that that's good. We, we see and believe the benefits of, of good looks or fitness or status or connections or money or any of those things. And all of those things seem to carry with them a level of stability, which is why we pursue them with everything that we have. We are the manufacturers of our own hope. And Christians often have the audacity to ask God to hold up the hope that we ourselves have built. God, I've worked really hard. Will you make this not fall over? God, I, this is really important. This is, I'm putting all my eggs in this basket. Will you just prop it up? Should we pursue education? Absolutely. Go ahead. Should we save? Yes. Should we work hard? Should you take care of yourself physically? All of those things. But what the scripture is saying, don't put your hope in in those things. Can you pursue those things? Go ahead. Should I hope in them? No. Paul talks about hope in Romans chapter 8. If you have a Bible, flip over to Romans chapter 8. This is where we'll spend the rest of our time together. A pretty famous passage, especially if you've been around here, we, we look to this quite often. Romans chapter 8. We'll start in verse 18. Paul says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So Paul's drawing on uh, this event, the, the fall, right? So if we believe the true story of the whole world, there's creation, God creates fall. Man rebels against a holy God. And the Bible teaches us that when that happens, sin enters the world and sin is a disease that is toxic and fatal and we all have it. And it teaches that when it entered the world, it impacted, twisted, and distorted everything. Creation, relationships, everything. And it leads to death. And Genesis teaches, and Jesus affirms, that everything dies because sin has corrupted that which at one time God called very good. Paul calls it the bondage to corruption or the, the bondage to decay. So everything is life. Everything in life is deteriorating. So you wake up in the morning, you check yourself in the mirror, you don't like what you see. That is the bondage to decay, right? That's what I tell my wife anyway. Now this, for some of you, you're like, well, I don't really get that because you feel a little bit invincible, but trust me, you're going downhill. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul's saying, look, we experience this groaning. We experience this profound pain and hurt in the world. There's a tension in our lives that we just know something is better. Look at verse 25. But... If we hope, look at back, back to verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes and what he, has, what he sees. Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Here's what Paul's saying. We groan, we ache. Paul himself had that experience in his life. I groan, I ache, 
but with patience. Because as a Christian, we are linked to a better future through Christ Jesus. We do not give up hope because our hope is not in this world or in this life. Because that hope is always disappointed. And so Paul is saying, Christian, you have more to live for. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When everything seems woefully broken and incomplete, including me, when I'm groaning, meaning I can't even find the words to express, I don't even have the words to articulate the sorrow or the pain, I'm thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit that intercedes for me with groanings too deep from words. What a gift that is. The the Spirit knows us, the Spirit knows God, and the Spirit translates those inarticulate groans and signs. When we don't have the words or we don't have the language, the Spirit of God, the Scripture says, translates that communication for us before the heart of God. And verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, that's an important caveat there, for those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. So how is it that all things work together in this way? The more suffering you encounter, the more you are pressed into the heart of God. And the hope of the resurrection becomes more and more real to you. And it presses us further towards the day that when God himself will reconcile reconcile the creation and ultimately restore and reconcile us. All the suffering that we experience in this life pushes us towards the completion and the restoration that is to come. It all has a part to play. When Paul speaks of this renewal, he makes it personal. He says, you'll be glorified, which describes when we will see Jesus face to face, when we go from death to life. The deeper we are pressed into identity with Jesus and his suffering on the cross, the more the hope of resurrection is able to be authentically birthed inside of us. That is how all things come together to work for those who are called according to his purpose. There is no way to get through life unless you know how to get through suffering, and there is no way to get through suffering unless you have hope. And your hope is only as strong as the thing that that can hold up your ladder, as strong as what or who you lean your life into. And if you are leaning your life into something finite, meaning not infinite or eternal, and suffering is the stripping away of finite things, when that happens, you will be in a free fall. There's a man named Viktor Frankl. He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. He was was in the Nazi death camps. um, And he he has this phrase. He says, life only has meaning if we have a hope that suffering and death cannot destroy. Life only has meaning if we have a hope that suffering and death cannot destroy. 
and what you are living for. In other words, your future hope determines how you handle your now. What is your hope in? Because if your hope is not in Jesus, then your hope is misplaced. And for the Christian, for those who follow Jesus, when the walls crumble and the walls do crumble, we are not shaken because we know that we're not supposed to put our hope here anywhere. There's one author who says, when everything shakes, God remains unshaken. The scripture describes the kingdom of God as an unshakable kingdom. And this is, the, this is the freedom for a follower of Jesus. This is the freedom for a believer. We, we can transfer our hope from the failing and flawed and decaying things of this world to the unfailing love of God demonstrated on the cross of Jesus where our future and where our identity are secure and sealed forever in him. And so good days and bad days, they end the same way for the follower of Jesus with us saying, God, my hope is placed in your love for me and who I am in you. Peter addresses this. He writes to a scattered and suffering church. So if you think this message is only for like super Christians, this is for, this is for everybody. This is for those who are hurting to the nth degree. Um, this, this scattered and suffer, suffering persecuted church in 1 Peter 1.3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He, come, he finishes the thought, he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Okay, now how? How does that happen? So I got a full disclosure. Um, I heard this from a, a pastor named Tim Keller, so lest you think I'm smarter than I am. But this is so good. This is how we activate hope. Look to Jesus. How did he handle suffering? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, speaking of Jesus, says, The founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, endured the agony of the cross for joy that was set before him. What was that joy? Was it heaven? The fact that he got to go back to heaven? Well, he already had that. He left that. Isaiah 53, 11. Listen to this. Out of the anguish of his soul, speaking of Jesus, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. The joy, the joy that was set before him is we who would believe by the result of his suffering. Like, does that just not make this intensely and insanely personal for you? That the joy, the joy set before Jesus on the cross was you and I who would believe because of the result of his suffering. And so now we are, have our living hope activated by his love for us. Does that not move you? Jesus now becomes the source of your living hope. Loving Jesus activates your hope. 
Romans chapter 8, this, this passage, this incredibly popular and powerful passage of Scripture is all about completion. All who are in Christ, he says, he has predetermined to finish the work and the new life that he has begun in you. God is a restorer and there is not anything in life that will happen to you that God cannot somehow ultimately work towards your good. With God, there is nothing so broken that he cannot fix it. And I know everything has not been fixed yet, but how good is it to know that there is not anything, there is not anything that is so broken that he cannot fix it. That God is working even now, even right now, even in the midst of your hurt and your pain and your brokenness to restore all things. And if you are a lover and a follower of Jesus, the resurrected life is on an inevitable and, and, and unstoppable course right now inside of you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is resurrecting you. And if you feel like your life is too far off the tracks, if you say, man, I, I'm just, it's too gone, it's too broken, it's too wrecked, it's too dark, how far off the tracks can it be for a God who can fix anything? We have to embrace we have to embrace that Jesus, this promise of God, has broken into the world, born to give his life so that you might be filled with life in him because you are loved and prized by majesty. And Christmas is a reminder that our hope is not in vain. Our waiting, our suffering, our longing, our aching, our groaning is not in vain because God keeps his promises even when it looks like his promises are impossible to keep. Let's pray. God, thank you for, um, God, just the encouragement of your word. God, I thank you that every word of it is true. And um, God, there is no way that simply by just me saying it, um, God, that it would be enough to parch the soul that just... God, to, to bring water to a soul that just is absolutely parched. God, there's no way that just by me saying it, God, that it would bring healing to broken hearts. And so, God, I'm praying that your spirit would move in freedom and power in this place. And, God, these words are your words. Um, God, the, the power comes from you. And so, God, I just pray, God, even now for healing to take place in in. in in this room, and God, in the lives and in the hearts of these people, um, God, that they would know, um, one, the extravagant and lavish love that you have for them, and God, because of that, God, they would know a hope um, that is secure, immovable, unshakable, and so, God, I just, I pray that, I pray that in your mercy, God, you would move um, in the hearts of people even now. And God, as we come to this time of communion, it's once again another opportunity for us to celebrate you and to be reminded of your incredible sacrifice for us. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.